This is the Center for Strategic and International Studies Smart Women, Smart Power podcast. Hello, everyone, and thanks for joining me on the Smart Women, Smart Power podcast. I'm Beverly Kirk here at CSIS in Washington. Be sure to follow us on Twitter. We're at Smart Women, and I'm at Beverly Kirk. My guest is Kim McHugh, Vice President of Drilling and Completions for Chevron. She's based in Houston, and she is the first woman not only at Chevron, but in the entire energy industry to hold the position of drilling and completions. Welcome to Smart Women, Smart Power, and what on earth took so long? It's not like the energy and oil industry hasn't been around for a while. Yeah, so thank you. Thanks for having me here. Um, yeah, there's a few reasons for that. So if, if I go back to when I graduated with my petroleum degree a very long time ago, 1986 <laughs> to be exact, there weren't that many women uh, in the group at all. And over time, they've all gotten out of the industry. Really? Yeah. Why? So, well, different factors. Uh, for some, downturns. Mm-hmm. and it just didn't fit, and they found other things to go into. Mm-hmm. Um, sometimes drilling completions really doesn't fit a, a woman's lifestyle, and it, and it can be very difficult rotating, going in the field. Um, it's a male-dominated. It's probably the most male-dominated sector of the energy industry. Mm-hmm. So some of them have stepped out just because it didn't fit. Uh-huh. Uh, we weren't that friendly early in the energy days on women and you know policies that would help you with family and delivering children and that sort of thing. So people stepped out. They found other things. So you really don't have that pipeline. So that's part of the reason it took a long time is you've got to have a pipeline of people. You've got to have some experience to do the role, right? right. And so I think that's those two things together have really been the difficulty for the industry. And we probably should take one step back and just what is drilling and completions for sure. those who may not who may not know and I'm one of those people so <laughs> I'm asking strictly for myself drilling and completion what is that yeah so to me it's the most exciting part of the industry I love it it's all I've done for 32 years so the drilling portion of it is actually we design how these wells will be drilled okay so literally what size the hole is going to be in the ground the casing uh, the cementing job uh, all the details of it So that's the drilling side. So we literally put the hole in the ground. Mm -hmm. The completions is the drilling just puts a hole in the ground with casing. It doesn't flow yet. So the completions, are that's the part of the job where we poke holes in the casing. It's called perforating. Um, You might have some fracking that has to be done, gravel, different techniques. Now the well is ready to flow oil and gas to sales. Uh So I like to say we we do the accessing of the reservoir. Uh That's our job. Uh-huh. So it's it's dealing with the rigs, the drilling rigs that you have seen in, in advertisements and pictures and things. That's what we do. And so I know that there's both onshore and offshore. So your job is doing this in both places. Both places all over the globe. So my job today is a global uh, for drilling and completion. So it's offshore and onshore. Uh-huh. And what is that like? I, I've always wondered if, if specifically about if you're going out in the middle of the ocean or maybe not technically in the middle of the ocean, but you're going pretty far offshore. What's that like? And how do you how do you live? And, and I guess this is related to what you just said about it, it maybe not being a job that was, quote unquote, family friend, friendly for for women. Yeah. So, uh, so there's a dynamic here. So let's talk about early in my career. Okay. And then we can talk about now, because I think you have to understand both mm-hmm. to your question of why it took so long. Right. 
early in my career, we were not set up for women and men on drilling rigs oh. offshore. So what you're asking is how do you, well, I get on a helicopter or uh-huh. a boat and you go out to the, to the rig. Once you're there, we have rooms that are out there, living quarters, a galley with food, and then all the equipment. Uh-huh. Normally, you would stay anywhere from 7 to 14 days. If it was the Gulf of Mexico, internationally, it's usually 21 days. Oh, wow. And it's a rotating. Uh-huh. So you work for 21 days, and then you're off for 21 days. Uh-huh. Or you work for 7 days, and you're off. But we didn't build the facilities to manage for mixed gender. Mm-hmm. So early in my career, I actually had to share rooms with a bunch of men that I didn't know. <laughs> and yeah, my first experience was... Uh, Dare I ask what that was like? Yeah, it was actually quite fun. I was in college. Actually, the first time this happened, I was probably 20 years old uh, offshore. And there were seven other men. It was a production platform. Mm-hmm. And the room had four bunk beds. And that was the room. So it was me and seven men I didn't know, and I'm 20 years old, out of college. Uh, Fortunately for me, my dad was in the industry, so he did a little coaching Uh in the background to get me prepped. That's an advantage I had that a lot of women don't have. Mm -hmm. Um, But they were great. They were very respectful. Uh, Bathroom situation, interesting, uh, because when I need to take a shower, they told me just, well, hang a uh, sign on the door. It'll say woman in shower and you're 20 that means come on in you know it was it's quite nerve-wracking <laughs> right, actually right I, I showered in a bathing suit for an I entire summer laughing no no laugh with me it's okay remember this is 30 years ago this is we were just really coming around at the time I didn't have mentors or people to talk to right, right. Today, we set it up for facilities that sets it up for females and males. That's just part of how our industry is set up. So if you're onshore, you'll drive a usually a pickup truck, mm-hmm. and there's a trailer there, and you have your own room and bathroom set up. So we, we've evolved quite a bit since mm-hmm. then. But I do have to tell you, best time in my career, even till today, was working on the rigs. I still love it. Uh-huh. I, it's the best part of my job is to get to go. I go all over the world. I visit rigs. I get to meet people from everywhere. Uh-huh. It's a great. It's a great environment. It. The early on, yeah, there were the the jokes and the things, and mm-hmm. and you learned. You know, I, I was telling the group you were with me yesterday, uh, on fitting in. Right, right, right. You learn to fit in. You you learn to like the things they liked. So I learned a lot about uh, chicken farming because a lot of people I worked with originally were from Mississippi. They had chicken farms. Uh-huh. How are you going to talk to them? Well, you're going to learn about what they like. Uh, you're going to learn about NASCAR. Mm-hmm. I wasn't a NASCAR fan, but I had to learn because they were all NASCAR fans. Uh-huh. They weren't learning about what I liked. Uh-huh. You know, I, I think it's an advantage women have this mm-hmm. relationship building, mm-hmm. and it helped make me successful with them. Um, today, I don't coach women that same way. Mm-hmm. I, I, I tried to fit in. I laughed. It was uncomfortable, my defense mechanism. Mm-hmm. Today, you try to teach women the tools mm-hmm. to handle it. Nobody uh-huh. taught me tools. Uh, you know, the simple statement, no, that's not okay. Uh-huh. If a joke or something is said, it's so powerful. Uh-huh. And I didn't know that back then. Uh-huh. So it, there's the fitting in, but there's also just the, the building the relationships and the, no, that's not okay. You were referring to the uh, Politico Women Rule Summit, the recent uh, uh, event where you spoke, uh, which prompted me to ask you all of these questions uh, about uh, about your background. Um, and you mentioned your your dad and that you're second generation drilling. Uh, and you told a story about his reaction when you became 
the vice president of drilling and completions and his reaction. Can you share that with our audience? Because it, that was a very powerful moment. You bet. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, my dad's my role model for the industry, obviously. And uh, so I called them immediately to let them know about this uh, job, uh, the promoting I was getting. And on the phone, my mom was asking an awful lot of questions and my dad was quiet. And I said, Mom, is Dad okay? My parents are 83 and 81, right? I said, is he okay? And she said, well, Kim, he's, he's got tears in his eyes. And I said, what? And I said, Dad, what, what's wrong? And he said, I never thought in my lifetime the industry would be ready for a woman to have that role. He said, I knew you could do it. I just didn't think they'd be ready. I'm, uh, I, my whole life, 54 years old, I've never seen my dad cry. Mm-hmm. So it was a very emotional time for him, and uh, he's always been my biggest advocate, my biggest fan. But it was yeah, it was quite moving to hear him say that. And you talk about how you coach women to be in the positions that you didn't have a role model for in the beginning. What are some other examples that you could give uh, to our audience about how you coach them? You said just saying, no, that's not okay is a very powerful statement. But what else do you do? What else do you tell them? Because one of the things you said in your comments that I thought was really interesting was that you said, I, I tried for a while to to kind of fit in by being like the guys. And you were saying, don't no. be... Don't be a guy. Don't be a guy. Yeah, and I actually think that's why some women uh, got out of the industry when I was early, is they were trying to be a man. And I'm not going to be a man. And uh, there's a great quote. John Mason has a quote. You know, you were born an original. Don't die a copy. And I really, I do too. I think it's so powerful in in all aspects of our life, right? Right. But me trying to be a man is not genuine. Uh, It's not taking advantage of what's best of me. And so I really coach women, don't try to be them. Just be the best you, bring that best person to the job. You've got this. And uh, I've had a lot of conversations where people, I love high heels. I'm six feet tall and I love to wear high heels. And I had people comment to that saying, well, you wear heels, you know, and we can wear heels. I said, what do you mean we can wear heels? Of course you can wear heels. And they were trying to even take their clothing to look more like a man, to fit in this space. They felt like they needed to, to progress. And I think that's just so sad that be you. And um, so that's one of the coaching things that I think is really powerful. You know, another piece I talked And this is applied across not only your industry, but every other industry. Absolutely. To anything you do in life, right? Um, The other one is I talk a lot about work-life integration. I notice you don't say balance. I will not. No. Why? Balance gives you the perspective that life's 50-50, that 50% of my time I'm going to give to my family and 50% of my time I'm going to give to my job. That's impossible. It can't happen. You know, it's kind of like people say you can have it all. You can have it all, not just at once. And so this work-life integration is how do you take your what's important to you, whatever family looks like to you and, and those things, and make it integrate to your work. And so you find tools and, and, and things to succeed. So for, for me, um, my family now knows, you know, I got a phone call one time from my son. It's really funny. He was eight. And I was on a global conversation. And I got a phone call. I stepped out, right? Your eight-year-old right. kid calls you. And he just wanted to know where there was some clean underwear. <laughs> I said, uh, honey, turn yours inside out, and we'll work on this later, right? And so did you I, really say oh, that? Oh, yes, I did. And, <laughs> and I went back inside, finished my meeting, you know. But that night, I taught him how to use a washing machine. Plus, I also had to tell them, hey, look, if there's blood, fire, 911. Your underwear is not a 911. And, and so we had to kind of work out these tools. Um, you know, the integration part, I, 
very early, I just, I thought you had to do it all yourself, right? And so I wanted to be this great employee, this great wife, this great mom. And so I was just burning the candle at both ends. I was absolutely exhausted. And I had a conversation with my husband and um, I was telling him, I said, I can't do this anymore. This was probably 12 years ago. It wasn't that long ago in my Mm -hmm. career. And he said, well, just let me help you. And and I looked at him and go, well, why haven't you been? He goes, because you don't ask. And, and yet he was doing a lot, mm-hmm. but I didn't. I put up this facade that I've, I've got this, right? I, I'm, I'm running all this. And so he didn't think I needed the help. And it was really great transition in our relationship where I let go of some stuff. Mm-hmm. And I was at first a little uncomfortable because I thought, you know, he made all the lunches for my children. And, and at a time, I had one kid who needed five meals in a day. She's a competitive swimmer, practices and all. I could not tell you which one of my kids needed mayonnaise or mustard. or t- I didn't know. I felt guilty. I was like, a mom should know that. And then after all, I was like, no, really, a mom needs to love them and give them the attention and the support. It doesn't matter if they need mayonnaise or mustard. But I think it's, it's a okay self— that dad knows. And it's okay that dad knows. But it was a transition that I had to personally go through. And so it's, to me, this whole work-life integration, the way we are all more powerful, you know, this whole topic of smart women Mm -hmm. is we actually have to be more visible and share and be transparent that there are some things that aren't perfect. And, you know, and and, and people will, you know, I I look here at you and I'm thinking, oh, her house has got to be amazing and it's clean and and her closet's (laughs) color coded and her office is probably totally arranged. And 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 all the people who know me who are listening to this are laughing right now because that's so not true. But they know you (laughs) as leaders and as executives. If we don't let people know, look, my laundry room has got laundry stacked up. You know, my kids can sign my name because I would forget to sign papers. Uh, teachers don't listen to that if you're on this. Um, but, <laughs> didn't hear. They yeah, didn't hear. don't hear. But but it's that um, ability to to actually, it's okay. It's hard. And, and the integration is the big piece mm-hmm. and the transparency. So uh, a lot of times I do talks at college campuses with young women who are in engineering. And I'll take pictures of random places in my house, my office, which is chaos, and my, you know, my Christmas tree that looks pathetic because I don't have time. And I want them to see I just choose to spend my time in different places. But it's okay. It's okay. So I, I think that work-life integration, we've got to stop talking balance. I think we set people up for failure when they think it can be 50-50 all the time. Let me remind you, you're listening to the Smart Women, Smart Power podcast. I'm Beverly Kirk. My guest is Kim McHugh, Vice President of Drilling and Completions at Chevron. Follow us on Twitter. We're at Smart Women. I'm at Beverly Kirk, and Kim doesn't tweet. <laughs> but she will after this, trust me. <laughs> Beverly has taught me my, she's getting me into the new ways. But, but you can follow at Chevron. Yes. So please. All right. Um, I want to follow up on what you just said when you talk to young women, because it's not a secret that there are are f- fewer numbers or lower numbers of women in petroleum engineering, which I note that's what your degrees, both of them, are in. Um, how do you encourage women to do something similar to what you've done or go in a completely different direction in whatever it is, science or math or or engineering? Well, so let me give a little statistic here for the audience because I think it's important. When 50% of the women are in the workforce Mm -hmm. and only 25% of women are in STEM careers, that's not a good number. I need more. I need diversity of thought, right? It's just not that we look different, but we bring different thought. 
a really alarming statistic I read the other day is, and I think it's roughly 43% of the women who get STEM degrees don't use them. Wow. So now think about That's that. It's amazing. And, and so amazing. why? You know, this is this, why is this happening? Um, so in order to encourage, I need the numbers even higher, right? So if I want to improve on our statistics and diversity and inclusion, and now think my pipeline. pipeline needs to be even bigger going into the university if half of them are not going to use the degrees when they get out. So it starts much earlier than college. You've got to actually go to elementary schools. You know, Chevron, we've invested a lot of money mm -hmm. globally, like $400 million in education and STEM. Mm -hmm. well, why are we doing that? Because you need to start early and get them hooked and make sure that young women know it is great to be good at science and math. That's important. And then encouraging that through junior high, encouraging it in high school, letting them know the careers. You know, we talk about it. The STEM careers are actually great paying jobs. Let's right. face it. Right. So why should women miss out on that? Right. They shouldn't, but they are. And so I think that's part of the selling point is look at the career. Look at the, the salary, the, the benefits that you can have. You've actually got to build on all that. And then you've got to build this inclusive environment mm -hmm. that they come into the industry and they actually want to stay. Right. right. And so that's a, a lot of work we're doing on that is in diversity and inclusion. Because, you know, diversity is you got asked to the dance, but inclusion is you get asked to dance. Mm -hmm. So so we need people to feel like they're adding value. And you also had something interesting to say on that point when you said, um, and let me let me think through and make sure I quote you correctly, is that you might have gotten through the door because you're a woman, but you'll stay because you're good. Yeah. So I get asked a lot, you know, well, Kim, what do you do with people who don't think you should be in the role? You got selected because you're female. Do people actually say oh, sure. that? Oh, sure. Oh, yeah. I mean, I, I hate to tell you, but yes. And and it's not just, you know, inside, it's outside because people, it's such a an industry first mm -hmm. that they automatically assume, well, you got there because they needed a woman. Mm -hmm. They're trying to change a demographic. Mm -hmm. It hurts. You know, 32 years of doing this and putting the time in and uh, being successful, you know, delivering results. Uh, so then you're right. I'm being challenged that I don't have the skill sets. But, you know, interesting, as over time I've gotten away from worrying about if people think I deserve this or not. And that's why that quote that you stated is so important to me because I can't change your mind by just telling you, right. showing you my resume. I've got to, I'm going to prove it in my day-to-day -day how I execute my job, you know, how I lead an organization. That's the important part. And it's fascinating over some time with some people I work with that have come to me and are big fans now that at first were very questioning. Mm -hmm. You know, I came from outside Chevron. So I've been with Chevron seven years. Mm -hmm. um, and People are kind of like, what'd you bring her in you know, from the outside? And they're, they're fans. So that's why I say that is if, if you put me in a role because I'm female and I fail, you're going to move me on. But you're also going to set up other females to make it more difficult. So it's about the right person. But the right people are women too. And they've got the talents and they've got the skills. You know, it's that being seen. And, um, I, and I can't remember where I saw the quote, but how do you get young women to stay in it and want to do it? Well, if I can't see it, I can't be it. So people start to pick other 
um, areas of the energy industry where they see women at high levels or into other industries or go into business where they can see their progress. You actually have to show women in those roles be successful. So now they go, wait a minute, I can do that. How do you tackle the sometimes meme or or frame of thought that math and science are hard, I'll do something else, this is too hard for me. You obviously are good at those things. Uh, and lots of other women are good at it too, but they may not think they're good at it. Yeah, I, you know, and I think that goes back to early on, right? Elementary, middle, high school. Uh, look, my, my daughters have given me stories of some teachers who have said, oh, you need a guy on your team. Well, my daughter had the highest average in the class. Why, why does she need a guy on this little team? She has three women. They're all very good. I think it's educators. I think it's really important that we educate educators on inclusive. You know, because little things they can say slowly diminish people's of what they believe they can do. It's got to be an encouraging environment. I, I think the educators make the biggest difference. And I mean, for me, when I retire, that's what I'm going to be d- dedicating my time is encouraging young women in STEM. I'm not really, if they go into the energy industry, that's great. I just want them to know you can do this, you know, and I met with a group yesterday. It was great at a middle school here in Washington. Uh, They do the Tech Bridge girls program. And so I was able to watch this room of a group of girls and their questions were fabulous. And one of the girls, it was my favorite, we were talking about uh, petroleum and oil and how, oh, dinosaurs had to die and the pressure and then that turns into oil, you know, very simplistic. Mm -hmm. And then I was telling them, hey, plastics are made from oil, you know, everything in this room you need a petroleum base to it. And one of the girls, it was a fabulous connection she made. She goes, wait a minute. If dinosaurs, you need dinosaurs to make oil and you need oil to make plastics, then if you have a plastic dinosaur, do you have a real dinosaur? (laughs) And it was so cute. But yet what a great, and I told her, I said, that's how engineers think. You make these connectors that come across and Mm -hmm. these young women are being encouraged to do that Uh or use power tools. You know, I love to use power tools, but if you're never given the opportunity, you think, well, that's a guy thing. And then all of a sudden they're there with saws and they're they're cutting wood and they're making these designs on graph paper. Sounds like something simple, but you've now got them hooked uh-huh. and they know I am good at this. Uh-huh. And even though it, say it's not a four-year university they want to go to, mm-hmm. look at the energy industry, electricians, welders, crane operators. Women can do all of those jobs. And our industry offers great paying roles in those technical jobs. So you need to know math to operate a crane because you've got to be able to make the calculations. Right. You've got to do it for a welder or any of this, but they don't take four-year degrees. They're great paying. Nobody talks to young women about those roles. They're considered traditionally men. Mm-hmm. So it's just broader than going out and getting an engineering degree. We need the diversity across the entire spectrum. Uh-huh. So it was it was great talking with them yesterday. Uh-huh. I, I love it, and I do own a drill. I love Good for to, you. <laughs> I love to use it. I don't know that I'm great at building things, but I love that power drill. I do. I'm with you. <laughs> I'm with you. Right? Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, before we wrap up, I want to ask you about a couple of things uh, that Chevron is working on in the tech area and doing investments sure. uh, to actually teach people about what you're doing and and what the and what the companies are doing in terms of research and development. So talk to me about that. Yeah, so I'm going to put a plug in here for another very smart woman. So Barb Berger is the president of our Chevron Technology Ventures, and she actually runs what we call our Future Energy Fund. And so Chevron just put $100 million into that fund, 
And her job is to go out there and invest in some breakthrough technologies that are really working on the transition of energy. Mm -hmm. So I, I think that's a great investment for the future. You know, when you start to talk technology, I want to talk about our drilling completions in particular. We're doing a lot of work now with some of the uh, technology that's been developed outside of our industry. So a lot of work with uh, in safety. So using FRD, RFID tags to tell when we've got people in areas of a dropped load so they don't go underneath a suspended load or that can stop machinery that actually can hurt people. You know, we're trying to take people out of the equation so they don't get hurt. Mm -hmm. um, so that's a great one. Data analytics. I don't think people understand uh, in our energy industry, especially Chevron. Yeah, can you make that connection? Absolutely. So, you know, everybody likes to talk about the, the, the Silicon Valley and the, mm -hmm. and the data. Mm -hmm. you, you know all about like Google and Facebook, how they use data. Right. Well, so now we're starting to take data and use data analytics, which have not, data analysts haven't been a normal part of our workforce, systems engineers, start to understand all this data that we have today that's streaming. So our drilling rigs actually stream in thousands of data points, but we weren't really doing a lot with it. Well, now we're using this technology to make smarter decisions, improve performance. Uh, Chevron has an entire digital transformation program going on, actually led, this is great, by a woman, Michelle Flieger. And uh, they've got a digital dojo where people get to come in, bring their ideas, the things that in their workplace or in their business unit that they want to improve on through digital. And then some of them win and they get funded and they get to go on. So it's a quite an exciting time for us in the company as we're making this transition to really embrace what's happening in the digital space and technology. It's, it's yeah, I, we could talk for hours on it. We could, and unfortunately, we've run out of time, but I have so many questions left. Kim McHugh, thank you so much for being with us. Oh, thank you, Beverly. I've really enjoyed it. This great is a day. great conversation. Thank you so much for being here. And thanks to all of you for listening. Remember to follow us on Twitter. I'm at Beverly Kirk, and we're at Smart Women. Thanks for joining us. Thank you for listening. For more information, go to CSIS.org and subscribe to our podcasts.